Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey, Liz. Hi, Maggie. Hello. You always have such a happy greeting. Well, I'm always just so excited and happy to see you. Aw, thanks. <laughs> well, for those of you who aren't sure who these happy people are, it's Liz and Maggie. Hello. Welcome to Inside Out Money. This is a personal finance podcast focused on redefining wealth from the inside out. Each week, I speak with a rotating set of co-hosts about a different financial topic to help you improve your financial mindset and tactics. This week, we've got Liz also known as Liz Gets Loaded, and we are going to share some common financial rules of thumb and what we think of them. Except Liz told me I can't say rule of thumb anymore. I did say that. Well, a lot of people have probably heard that rules of thumb has some history that's tied up with, let's just call it not being kind to women. Yeah, <laughs> Which domestic I think violence. That, I think yeah, is, some yeah. of that history has like since Which I been didn't debunked. Know. I didn't know until you even told me that. I, I can't remember where I heard it. I heard a while ago, but I just did a search on it earlier today because I was trying to remember exactly what it was. And it said, you know, the the the, the, the idea was <laughs> the, the term rule of thumb came from like you were allowed to hit your wife with something that was thinner than your own thumb. And so obviously, like, and, and then I read that, and I was like, oh, I'm going to stop saying that because I don't want to use that term that's, like, right. rooted in domestic violence. But then when I searched today, at least what I first saw in a cursory Google search was that historians have debunked that. And it wasn't actually true, but I think... Well, just in case. Just in case. And here's another reason that's not as important as the reason you just gave. But also, when I use terms like rules of thumb in front of my kids... I I just noticed like a lot of, is it like colloquialisms? Is that the oh, they term? don't know what it means. They're like, they look at me, they're like, what? Uh, your thumb? Like they're, they're very literal <laughs> in their understanding of things. And I can't, there was something like that that I said the other day and they were, they just looked at me and they were like, well, they literally didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, oh, that's like, and I'm trying to kind of explain it. So we'll just say these are some general financial principles, best practices. Mm. And in the spirit of what those are, like these are guidance they, there's and, and these are like commonly known things we're going to go through yeah they don't factor in any personal information about you and your situation so this is like it, they're things where they've sort of tried to in the spirit of making and defining a principle or best practice they've tried to turn something into a science when there's a lot more art to it i would say and so they're trying to kind of put out a formula for the masses which i actually think can be quite helpful to many people but they also i, I don't think people should get like overly hung up on this being a true, you know, quote, rule, right? It, yeah. It's a general best practice and it doesn't know anything about your own personal situation. I agree. These are best practices. These are like financial bumper stickers. That's a good reference. <laughs> and we're going to say if we like these bumper stickers or if we don't like these bumper How stickers. How are we going to say that, Liz? Could you please clarify? Well, I suggested that we play a little game of smash or pass. I'm glad you took credit for the suggestion. <laughs> 
I, I then like riffed on that and said, hit it or quit it. But we landed on smash or pass. But I just want you to know, Liz and I do our prep and research. Like we have like meaningful debates on should mm-hmm. we do smash or pass? Should we hit it or quit it? And then thumbs like up, we like down, talk it out. Yeah. Half full, half empty. Yeah. You know, like and we, we put a lot of thought into this, you know. So we landed on smash or pass. Every time I thought about Smash or Pass, it just made me giggle. And so I think we landed <laughs> on the right one. <laughs> okay. Well, I can't wait to make you giggle. <laughs> so we're, we're just going to go through these, explain what they are and what they mean, and give you our Smash or Pass and like why we would give it a Smash or Pass. <laughs> I, I can't wait. Let's go. Okay. All What's right. the first let's one? Talk about the first one. So the first financial best practice that you may have heard is to hold three to six months in cash like this is what you want to have in your emergency fund exactly okay i think this one doesn't require a lot of explanation so we'll just go right in i think like we like one two three and then we say our thing okay so we can't influence the other person okay i'm ready ready one One, two two, three three. smash Smash. (laughs) okay mine is a smash but yeah I would really like I smash three to six months in an emergency fund. I'll Said double smash. smash. But. I'll d- oh, that's funny. Sorry. I'll double. Sorry. Oh my god. Sorry. We might be too immature to even do this episode. Well, hold on. That's ruining my next punchline. I'll double smash a six to twelve month emergency fund. Ooh. Like that's even so you're saying better. The bigger the better. The bigger the better. Yeah. It's not how you use your emergency fund. It, no, I mean it's not what's in your. It's whatever you know. It's not how you use it. It's the it's size. It's not the size of your emergency <laughs> fund. It's whether you have it in a high yield savings account or not. Oh, that's a good point. It is how you use it. Yeah. So I'm only going to smash that three to six months of cash if it's sitting in a high yield savings account that's getting at least five percent interest right now 5.5 percent if you go with Wealthfront or a few others are giving that price that's fair that's fair I think three to six months ends up being a pretty good general guideline for most people you can do more you can do less there's a lot of things that might go into how much cash you want to have like how stable is your job how's your health do you have kids do you have two do you own a house do you have two incomes exactly but three to six months is generally it's it's a good guideline like, I don't take any issue with this. The other thing I like about three to six months is that if that's three to six months at your current standard of living, and all of a sudden something crazy happened, like you did lose a job, and we did a whole episode on this, Liz, I know you could actually probably eke six to 12 months out of that money if all mm-hmm. of a sudden you knew times were tough and you needed to stretch your dollar further. And so that's a thought on that too. I think that's a really good point. Let's go to the next one. There is another rule that says your asset allocation of like brokerage funds, if you will, of what you're invested in should be 100 minus your age. So more specifically, it is subtract your age from 100 to determine the percentage of your portfolio that should be in stocks, which are considered higher risk, versus bonds, which are considered lower risk. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to use sort of myself as an example, except I'm going to make it easier math. So I'm actually 43 did you just look at your watch? Well, I was trying to remember what month we're in and then like the year. I was born in 80, so it's real easy for me to know. So I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm, my birthday hasn't happened yet. So I'm still 43. Okay. Okay. So, but let's just say I'm 40 for easy math. 100 right. minus 40. That means I should have 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. Okay. So let's use that example and let's smash or pass it. One, <laughs> One two, two, three. Three. Pass. Pass. Oh, nice. Sorry, I was too fast. Okay, so we're both passing on that one. I can tell you I'm passing. Actually, I'm curious that you go first on why you're passing. I, that seems 
like way too high a percentage of bonds for someone who is 40, in my opinion. I totally agree. And I know bonds are considered safer, lower risk. There's been some interesting, I was going to say like less consistency to how bonds have performed in the last few years versus how they historically had performed. But ultimately, like, look, if I'm 40 and I'm not, I'm 43, but let's say I'm 40 or 43, (laughs) I've got another 20 years until... I need to access a lot of this money. And actually, some of that's why this is an art versus science. Like for me, I know that I have another 20 years till I need to access some of this type of money. So let's take my 401k. I can't even access it for another, you know, close to 20 years, 16 years. Do I want to have 40% of my brokerage funds or of my 401k as an example, not playing in the stock market and performing significantly lower? Like I, I get it if you need the money in the short term or if you're, you know, 70, 80, 90, like significantly older. Mm-hmm. And you need the money in the shorter term. But for me, I don't need a lot of the money I'm talking about for 10 to 20 to 30 years. And I, I just don't, I'm not willing to take a hit on performance for that. And I'm willing to, I guess you'd say, take on the higher risk. Like I believe long term, the averages I'll see and the flexibility I have of not having to pull money out of the market if there's a couple of down years in there, I feel okay about that. Yeah. Everything you just said makes total sense. And it, this is also like a lot of these, it depends. And so if you're, if you're less comfortable with risk and you want more stability in your portfolio, then a bigger percentage of bonds might make sense. But if you're more comfortable with risk, then this role doesn't make sense at all. Yes, totally agree. All right. We're so aligned so far. I know. Yeah. Let's do the next one. Okay. So the next one is the 50-30-20 rule for budgeting. And this is a guideline that you see sometimes that says after taxes, this is how you want to allocate your income. So it's 50-30-20, for necessities. So that's things like housing, utilities, groceries, 30% for wants. So that's like Netflix, Chipotle, whatever the things that you want are. And then 20% for your financial goals. And that's kind of all financial goals, like paying off debt, saving for retirement. So 50 necessities, 30 for wants, and 20% for financial goals. Did, did you say this is after taxes? I did, but I think it's worth underlining that. Uh, the only reason I mentioned that is because I'll, like, I'll get all sorts of like detailed questions from people sometimes on how we're calculating something. And I'm like, look, it's these are directional rules that best anyways but in case you are really worried like i think this rule implies after taxes Mm -hmm. okay one two sorry i'm still trying to think of my own answer which is why i paused (laughs) i'm on the fence on this one one One, two two, three three pass pass Uh, really what's funny i almost said smash because i'm kind of like it depends there's a big it depends one for me so i I don't love this rule yeah so this was actually one of the first I think financial rules that I learned about and was like, oh, okay, great. I'm so glad someone told me that. Like, I I had no idea how I was supposed to be allocating. Like, this is a great guideline. It's it's not a bad place to start. But when I applied this to my own budget, I was already saving more than 20% and already spending less than 50% on needs. And so I think if you're out of whack, like if you're saving less than 20% and you're spending more than 50% on needs... Yeah, it's a good starting point, potentially. But I agree it is way too... It might inadvertently give you permission to to spend more than you should. And look, should is relative, right? So it's, it's up to you. But if you were at higher incomes, if I were to have spent... 
I'll put it this way. If I followed this rule, I never would have early retired. So it just depends what you want to do with your life, right? And how long mm-hmm. you want to be working and all sorts of things. But I think if you are, you know, v- closer to living paycheck to paycheck, it's great guidance, right? To try to pull down your expenses and, and really set some budgets. I think as you start to have more and more disposable income, this could really throw you out of whack, similar to your example is where you were saving more than 20%. Right. It, it's not a bad guideline to look at. And it's a little bit like, so the episode you just did with Andrew about your lifetime wealth ratio, there's these Mm -hmm. numbers, right? That say, oh, you know, 25% is pretty good. Like 50% is amazing. 100 is phenomenal. But it it doesn't mean that like, if you're not at 50%, you're not amazing. Like it's a a good baseline place to start, but it probably, the thing, the reason I say pass is the 50, 30, 20 rule probably does not apply for most people. Yeah, that's fair. But again, it's not wrong. It, I just pass on it personally. It's not wrong, but I wouldn't. I'd smash another rule. (laughs) It's not wrong, but I wouldn't take it home. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's not wrong. Okay. So along the same lines, there's various rules out there that say that you should save X percent of your paycheck. Sometimes it's 10, 15, 20, it could be different amounts, kind of aligns with the spirit of the rule we were just talking about, which was, you know, 20% of financial goals, but how much you should be saving. And yeah, I don't know if you ever got this advice from somewhere, but this, this one really resonated with me because it is something my parents, we did not talk a ton about money, but one of the few things that my parents instilled in me was you save 15% of every paycheck. Hmm. I don't remember if I was given specific advice like this. I I do just remember kind of naturally saving what I could, but not really targeting a percentage. I don't remember. I remember hearing different percentages, but I just, I have a terrible memory. Yeah. Yeah. It comes in different forms, but I think there's like this general guideline that you hear often you should save X percent of your paycheck. And it's most often 10, 15, or 20 are like the amounts that you see the most. Yeah. Okay. Let's smash or pass it. Okay, let's smash or pass it. Hang on, I gotta think. Okay, save whoever percent of your paycheck just walked into a bar. What are you gonna do? You don't have a lot of time to decide. Okay. Other people are swarming around them. One, One two, two, three. three. Pass. Get their number. <laughs> Get their number and see how things go. Okay, that was your like middle of the one, mm-hmm. middle of the road, right? Like I, I kind of agree with you. The only reason I pass is for the same reason as above and like, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. I love the spirit of like, yes, especially someone like right out of college, I would guide my kids in the spirit of wanting to give them some specificity. I love the idea of saying, hey, make sure you're saving at least 10% of your paycheck or 15 or whatever. But I also, if I knew they were making X amount of money and their expenses were only this, I'd be like, but if you could save 40%, that would be awesome for your future. And so I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I'm, some of these rules worry that people will sort of go down to the lowest common denominator and not do as well or as much as they could do. And it kind of would almost like give them an excuse to say, oh, well, I'm doing that. And that, that, that was a, a low bar set. That makes sense. I would, I lean towards smash because... It's a good guideline to save a good chunk of your paycheck every time. Yeah. And even if you only saved 15 or 20%, let's say you could save more, but you were like, well, the rule is 20%, so that's all I'm going to do. It still sets you up in a pretty good place, assuming you're saving that, paying off debt, investing for retirement, et cetera. It puts you in a good spot. The thing that actually sticks out for me is, again, I heard this rule a lot, and I never understood that you were supposed to invest the money. (laughs) 
Oh, it's an important point. <laughs> oh, I was like, yeah, say it's in my savings account. Got it. Yeah. But well, that's not even one of the sort of best practices we're going over. We we alluded to it when we talked about the emergency fund and that it should be in a high yield savings account. But yeah, just not like making sure all of your money is invested. Like it is not a invested or working for you in some way or you're losing money due to Mm -hmm. inflation. And so, yeah, that is just sort of a general principle that isn't even I mean, that's just like an obvious smash. Smash it every (laughs) day. Investing, obviously smash. Yeah. Get over uh, here. Well, <laughs> even on the savings, you got their number, so you can always smash it later. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Next. Speaking <laughs> of that, if you're going to smash, you need a house to go to to smash it. <laughs> I think there's like a button where I have to hit explicit content when I publish an episode if it has. I think you, I I think you need qualify. to hit explicit on this oh, one. On this, this one, okay. We well, might we even might- like... We might add something at the top of the episode to just say, like, if you're listening in the car with your kids. Yeah. Well, they're just going to ask what smash means. But we mean, like, you know, like, smash a cake. That's fun. Like, smash it with your lips. Give it a kiss because you like yeah. it. You like that I made the noise sound effect. I really Hope did. that mic got that. Okay. <laughs> I really did. Okay. And only there... smash once you love somebody. Okay, kids? <laughs> okay. And use when protection. In a place that so you feel safe and comfortable. Anyways. Okay consensual smashing should just be like clear off the bat i shouldn't even have to say that but i just want to yeah. clarify okay smashing always consen- consensual smash or consensual pass yes right okay. we're gonna talk about housing and it takes two people to consent to smashing by the way you can't have a smash and a pass that's just not gonna work that does not okay. that's, that's let's not let's carry compatible. on this is not one of the best practices we were gonna go over today but <laughs> That one's a bonus. I would definitely smash consent. Consent is a big smash I would smash consent all day long. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good episode. I have the giggles. Okay. Anyway, so. (laughs) Do you you want me to do the next one? I got it. Okay. Um, When you're buying a house, kids. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're buying a house, you got right back to your mic voice. Microphone voice. There are a couple rules. Can we smash or pass all three of these rules? Do you want to like do them together? Like it's all one smash or all pass? No, I want to do them individually. Yeah, yeah. Let's do them. Let's do them individually. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot. You'll get a lot of advice and a lot of rules. When you tell people that you're starting to buy your first house or a house, people love to give you advice. Oh, yeah on where to look, what to look for, and how much to spend. So there's a couple of things here. The first one is the 2836 rule. And a lot of lenders will look at this and they want your gross monthly income. So that's including taxes, like without taxes taken out, right? Your before tax income. Your debt for housing shouldn't be more than 28%. So let's just use an example to make that easy. Let's say you or you and a partner combined, your household income is $100,000 a year. This rule says you don't want to be spending more than $28,000 on your mortgage housing cost. A year. Per year. Yeah, which monthly is... So that would be $2,333 a month that you have as your budget. Right. So this rule is saying if you make $100,000 per year, you shouldn't be spending more than 28% of that. So $28,000 a year on housing, which is about $2,300 a month. And that's like your mortgage payment, property taxes, insurance, everything that goes into housing. And then along the same lines, the reason it's 2836 is that you're call it debt to income ratio, which is like a fancy sounding term, but it's not actually that fancy. No more than 36% of your total income should be going towards debts, including that housing cost. So let's go back to that example. Let's say your household makes 100K a year. 
your mortgage lender is probably looking at that to make sure you're not spending more than $28,000 a year on your mortgage. And if you have other debt, like credit card debt, student loans, car payments, they don't want that to add up to more than $36,000 a year. Or 36%, yeah, of that gross monthly income. Right. And, and that's meant to, I think it's just worth restating it, that's meant to combine your new debt you're about to have, which is your mortgage payment, with existing debt. So if you already have a massive amount of debt, they're going to look at that and be willing to loan you less money as a result, exactly. right? So there's less, like it's 28 over 36. There's less of, the, more of that 36% is going to other stuff than you don't have the 28% of right. that 36 left over or not of that but you don't have the 28% of your gross monthly income left over for housing costs which is why they look at the two together. Right. Okay. Smash or pass on spending up to 28% of your gross monthly income on housing and up to 36% of your gross monthly income on debt. Ready? 1 1 2, two three, 3 smash. Ah. Why are you going to pass? That seems way too high to me. Oh, okay. Okay, that's fair. Why, why do you smash? Well, I like it as a starting point because I think on average... Okay, wait. No, you're right. That is way too high. Well, so I was actually going smash, back to... Because no one should be above that. And I'm... Yes. We're you're agreed saying, that like... Yeah, yeah, yes. I was saying smash be because I think most people overspend on houses and buy more house than they can afford. Mm -hmm. And so I like a rule like this. Mm -hmm. But I just went back to... And I used... It's funny. The episode Andrew and I just did, I used my social security data from the year I bought this house. And I, rem I remember this being a big stretch for us. We mm -hmm. broke like all these rules, I think. Actually, we didn't break this rule. We broke some of the others we're going to go into. And to your point... This rule was the was the most flexible, perhaps. This rule allowed us to get more house than we could arguably afford. Now, we happen to have, you know, good job security careers that we knew were going to, like, hopefully increase in salary and felt pretty good about being, like, a little house poor for a while. But I do generally agree that, like, people often just buy more house than they can afford. So, I mean, on that point, I mean, it definitely would be a one-night stand, right? <laughs> like, I, I, it's not going to be a repetitive. I shouldn't say that. We shouldn't keep, go too far down this rabbit hole. But, but to... to to your point, I maybe would be closer to passing because I, I do think that it should be some version of this rule, but the number should be a little bit lower. Yeah, I think they should be quite a bit lower. I think you see people talk all the time about these wild mortgages that people get approved for. Yeah. And it's, I mean, because think, okay, like think about these numbers, right? So again, going back to this example, someone makes 100K a year. 100,000. After taxes, that's Let's like, call it 80. Yeah. I was going to say even like 75, right? Okay. Yeah. If you're spending 28K on how that's like more than a third of your income. Yeah. And then it's letting you be up to 36, which is almost half like towards debt in general. I, I have been surprised every single time I've gone to apply for a mortgage and I kind of start to look at like, what's the max we could get approved for? And I'm like, we should not be buying a house that's that expensive. That is completely bananas. Yeah. I mean, on that math, you would be... That you'd be at like almost 40% of your, if we go back to that 50, 30, 20, almost 40%, you have 10% left for necessities, right? You have 10% right. less for groceries, bills, et cetera. And like that could be tough. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we're in general agreement over, yeah. that's probably a little bit aggressive. I might go over back to like a, uh, ask for the number. Ask we for the number. I'm going to want more information <laughs> before I actually commit to smashing. Exactly. Okay. Next one. Another housing one is spend three times your annual income on a house. I also did this math of the house I'm in now. 
And if we would have had, we would have been close to this. Okay. Should we smash or pass though? would say, yeah. Okay. Let's smash or pass first. All right. Spending three times your income on a house. One, two, three. Ask for their number. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Same point as above. Like I just, I need more information, you know, like what do you have in savings? What do you have in debt? It's. It's interesting. It's this too is general. Like, before I had ever purchased a home, a friend of mine who had bought and sold multiple homes, and I thought they were like, you know, just this very wise person because they had bought and sold a house before, sort of like grabbed me by the shoulder and like looked at me very sincerely. And they were like, anybody can buy a house. Here's the one thing you got to know. Don't spend more than three times your income. And I thought this was like the secret to real estate forever. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. It's an overly simplistic rule that doesn't take into account so many other factors. Yeah. Yeah. And probably is more house than like that would I mean, I, and this house was arguably more house than we could afford at the time, which I'll get more into on the next rule. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just risky to me. It depends, too, on like what interest rates are, how much you're putting down, how much other debt you have. Like, I think you could stretch this rule. A li- I think a lot of people probably do stretch this rule and spend more than three times their annual income if they live in a super high cost of living area where like that's kind of True. all there yeah. is. If you don't have a car payment, if you don't have student loans, if you don't have credit card debt, you know, it might feel quite a bit more comfortable. I'm trying to remember when we bought this house. It was close. It was, it was, I think it was a little above. I think it also gets tricky because when you think about lifestyle inflation, like when I first bought this house, we were around that amount, I think. Mm -hmm. But if I were to have continued to follow that rule as I started making more and more money, and if I went and bought a house now, I would be, I would have bought a house that was way beyond what I needed. Mm -hmm. right and so at some point back to the some of the earlier rules we talked about like it's just too general it could give you permission to do things that just aren't financially advantageous or necessary for you to do right and and to constantly it's literally like giving you permission to constantly inflate your lifestyle when you don't necessarily need to and it's not going to increase your happiness yep i mean sometimes buying a big expensive house does increase your happiness it can yes i bought a big expensive house and it increased my happiness quite a bit but you also could afford it you weren't it was a stretch though i i was just thinking it was a little bit more than this like three times your annual income rule it's it's not anymore right like and and this is the idea a lot of times people will try to sort of convince you to spend more on a house because they'll say well you're locking in your mortgage right it's an investment your income ideally goes up as your mortgage stays the same so the house that you bought like you said you bought a house and it was a stretch in terms of affordability five years later ideally your income has gone up by yeah maybe 10 or 15 percent two years later it wasn't a stretch yeah exactly exactly and i feel the same way here like it was a stretch i also loved this i cried when i walked into this house i this is like my soul house (laughs) it's a very nice house it's it just it's got a lot of character i'm not usually emotional about housing like i you know i've lived in a lot of different places i've like bought and sold and rented and i make a list of like this is what i need this is what's important to me this is my price range and then i go find something that meets that and this was like a very emotional (laughs) decision house but it worked out i love the house and i think she loves me back so we're very happy together maybe that should be a rule (laughs) wood smash (laughs) maybe that should be a rule is that you have to cry if you're not crying in the house then it's not it's not not worth it yeah okay last buying a house rule is that you should always put 20 percent down you want to okay ready one two Two, three three. pass Pass? okay why are you passing i 30 percent i have never put 20 percent down on a house yeah neither have i i think i've i think i literally put 
like zero percent down on a house once or like so little and then five percent down on the house we're in maybe it was five percent on both houses i think i've done three five and ten i think i know i I had pmi private mortgage insurance i know i had a a arm which is a different point but a more riskier type of mortgage Mm -hmm. wouldn't recommend it to the average person yeah i just don't think I, i think there's times where you just may not have the cash to do that like yeah in a perfect world it'd be awesome if you waited to buy a house until you could afford to put 20 percent down but that would limit many people from being able to buy a house we've also been in this like ultra low interest rate environment for a long time not anymore but when we purchased our last home for example I mean it's a long story but we don't have mortgage insurance but we you know we had the option to put down 10 percent or 20 percent and had the money to put down 20 percent but with a mortgage rate at three percent I'd rather have that money in the market. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Yeah. especially if you have the cash on hand and you don't like you still if something happens, you've still got that emergency fund to pay the mortgage and you feel very good about it. That's another great point is just understanding the the rate you're at. Yeah. Okay. well, now that we've smashed or passed on some houses, (laughs) we need a car so we can get to and from our house. Perfect. I love this little story we're building, this little (laughs) life. Yeah. Okay. So for buying cars, I have seen a couple different rules. Let's start with this one. Only pay for cars with cash. Only buy a car in cash. By the way, we don't literally mean cash. I recently sold a car and I believe this was a scammer, but I'm not sure. But like it was like a $30,000 car and someone wanted to pay me in cash. Actually, this person seemed legit. I was like, no, I I cannot accept. I didn't mean literal cash. (laughs) I meant like you you transfer over the money from your bank account. Like I was like, are you paying in cash or are you financing it? And then at some point we realized they were talking uh-huh. about actual cash. And I was like, yeah, no, I cannot accept $27,000 in like, unmarked like bills. Like little brown sacks with the dollars. Yeah, well, then they, they claim, and, and I never, you never know. Like there's so many scammers when you're trying to sell yeah. a car privately. But like at one point they did say they had just sold a car and that's the only reason they had that much cash on them. And I was like, okay, but just to be clear, I cannot accept that much cash. So we don't literally so mean funny. cash. We just mean that like you... You have it in your you have liquid liquid money in the bank somewhere that where you can you know do a wire transfer or write a check or however you we mean like not using a car loan yes not financing a car okay one two three, three. pass, pass. <laughs> i like the spirit of this but i think it would actually limit many people from being able to own a car yeah. and so i i'm more like wanting to smash some of the future rules we get to but this one to me like i love the idea of this and i've said before i think there's a certain point in your life where you're making a higher income and you're doing better financially where i don't think you should buy more car than you could pay for in cash but i think if it's earlier on in your financial journey or just where you are financially financially and you need a reliable mode of transportation i think you should be careful about how much car you buy but i don't think it should be that hard and fast of a rule because i think it would just limit too many people yeah i fully agree i think you can pay a reasonable amount for a reasonable car without only purchasing something that you could pay for in full right away yeah so i mean if you can swing it do it like if you can be a person who only pays cash doesn't ever do a car loan then like that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Okay, okay, so the next car rule is the 2410 rule for buying a vehicle. Some of these rules get complicated. I'm like, who came <laughs> up with these? So this is when purchasing when purchasing a car, pay attention because there's three steps to this one. Put down at least 20% as a down payment. I don't think I can smash anything this complicated. Limit the car loan <laughs> to no more than four years to avoid excessive interest. I prefer simple smash. <laughs> 
person's like layered and nuanced, actually. That's not true. They're not complicated. Yeah. Okay. So limit the car loan to no more than four years to avoid excessive interest. I will say there's like a lot of loans now that are like five, six years. They're getting long. They're, they're getting they're like eight years. Yeah. That's like, unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to like tip my hand here, but I'll get into that in a minute. The last one is spend no more than 10% of your gross income on transportation costs. And that doesn't mean the car itself. That might be a car payment, gas, insurance, et cetera. So the monthly cost to own a vehicle. So the 2410 rule. Here we go. One, two, two three. three. Smash. smash. Yeah. Are you getting like a smash? Smash. It's not like a smash. I, yeah. <laughs> it's not like a, it's like a, uh, I got nothing else to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. We're terrible. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I like the, I like the spirit of this, right? And like I said, it's you know, it's like a what do they call it? A, like a wine that's like complex. It's in a good way. Is that the word? That, <laughs> full you know? bodied. Full bodied. Yeah, it's got a lot of edges to it. You know, a lot of a lot of things happening with it. That, that could be a nice smash sometimes. So I I think it's nice. I think the spirit of those things of like not having too long of a a car loan. Like if you if you have to drag your car loan out beyond four years to be able to afford it, you're probably not always, but you're probably now if there's like like you said on mortgage interest rates, if there's like a ridiculous interest rate and like there was a time when they were doing like really, really low or zero percent interest. Right. Yeah, if you're doing something super creative and you've got your money working for you in some other way, like I could see that. But for the average car loan, which usually is like these days is not a low percentage. Yeah, you don't want something more than four years because you're just dragging out. And then it seems more affordable, but you're locked into a car that's like the loan is longer than the life of that car to you. Yeah. So, so I like this one. I think for a lot of these rules, my smasher pass comes down to does this apply to most people? Like, is this reasonable advice that is practical and this feels very practical like here's the thing too with this one even if you don't actually put down 20 percent, even if you don't actually limit the car loan to four years even if you don't actually well the last one the 10 percent of your gross income it should be that or less but if you can afford to you should buy a car that like you can afford to put 20 percent down you can buy a car that you can afford to do the payments for four years again to your point maybe you do five or six years you got that like zero percent interest and you're thinking i'm gonna leave the money in the stock market or in a cd or something where it's earning more interest but this seems very very reasonable to me. 20% down, no more than four years, and no more than 10% of your gross monthly income on like a car payment. Car payments are getting the average. I'm expensive. sure you've seen the news. I, I won't go fully down the rabbit hole, but I listen to like a lot of economic news radio, like Marketplace and Planet Money and et cetera. And it, I feel like every other week I'm hearing something about average car payments are going up. Like the average car payment now, I think I'd have to look it up. But I want to say off the top of my head, it's something like like $700. Yeah. Yeah. It's really high. And there's this like subprime car loan crisis where like an increasing number of people are defaulting on their car loans. Yeah. That's why we'd smash this rule. I'd smash it. Okay. So another car one is only buy a used car to minimize your depreciation. There's all sorts of stats about how much a car loses its value the second you drive it off the lot. There's a stat that, you know, new cars lose like 20% of their value in the first year also. Okay, smash or pass. Okay. One, One, two, two, three. Smash, Smash, but I'm a hypocrite because I have bought new cars. That's my problem is like... in terms of like, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say, is mm-hmm. that the phrase? This is a good rule. This is a smashable rule that most people should follow. And I would say, actually, you know what? Can I combine two of these and smash them together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only want to smash if you can buy a new car, if you can afford to buy it with cash. 
Mm. And those, that's my thing is like, if you can afford, if you know that you are like just literally losing money the second you walk off the lot and you can afford to lose money, go for it. You do you. But like, it's not a great path. Yeah, I hear you. But to be clear, I've done it like I won two, three times in my life. <laughs> I have never purchased a brand new car. And I think, again, this might be one of those things ingrained in me from my parents that like, and and from a lot of people. I think dads across the land are like, never buy a new car. It loses so much value when you take it off the lot. So I wouldn't do that. I've never done it. And I think there's some exceptions. So we were in this weird place with a used car market a couple of years ago where it was all, it was sometimes such a marginal difference between buying a brand new car and buying a used car. I could see why people would make the choice to buy a new car. Yeah. That's I wouldn't fair. do it. I wouldn't do it though. And there's also like, you know, my excuses on the three I've purchased. One, I was young and dumb. It was like my very first car. I had thought I had a like really cool job out of college and like had <laughs> didn't fully understand taxes and lots of things. And like I bought a brand new Honda Accord. But I will say every car I bought was a very like practical car. Like I, I didn't go and like ball out and buy some like crazy car. I bought like a Prius new. <laughs> and some of the reasons, I, but it, when, when I bought that brand new Prius, I could have afforded a much nicer car at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Everybody else in my like income bracket was driving like a Mercedes to work. Yeah, and yeah. I was driving a Prius. Or something so, nicer like an Audi. Yeah, or like an Audi. Yep. <laughs> Audis are very fancy cars. I could never afford an Audi. That's a joke because I drive <laughs> and i love her um she's very nice okay we should move on yes okay i think i was just giving more excuses about the new cars i bought but that can end now so okay that's okay you you know what you um (laughs) you use your money in a way that maximizes your happiness and if having that car you could afford it it made you happy you drove it for a long time you were making a generally responsible decision i look sometimes so i i bought an we switched to an ev last year and i bought a used audi e-tron and i think all the time i still felt like i was like i cannot believe how much i'm paying for this car it was 50 something yeah brand new it was like eighty thousand dollars, and that makes my eyes get big i'm like who was paying yeah. for this brand new some guy who i got it from <laughs> yeah i mean that was my other point on cars is like i have and this is an excuse but i'll make it anyways some of the times i have bought new cars other than when i was just like young and didn't know what was going on in my 20s is i it was hard to get that car used like when mm-hmm. i was buying mm-hmm. priuses it was early on when priuses were new there weren't a lot of great used priuses out there like mm-hmm. i, I they, they just had tons of miles on them there were like not a lot of people selling them that were like a couple years old yeah it's kind of too your point of like you know the market can be funny sometimes and certain types of cars are harder to get yeah i mean even even tesla is based on some of the deals tesla's been doing and i, and I just bought a tesla a, couple, a few months ago and i sold a car for twenty seven thousand dollars, put it towards that so that the incremental cost but the because of the federal tax credit which is seventy five hundred dollars it i was better off buying a new car i didn't get that tax credit if i bought a used tesla and, and yeah. i did look at used teslas and i compared them and it would have i would have it was a way better deal to buy a brand new one and get that $7,500 off. Yeah, I, I fully agree. They're, the tax credits on EVs right now are definitely making new cars more attractive than used in some cases. There, like, there, there is a credit for used EVs, but they have to be sold for less yeah. than... Yeah, there's some funky rules around it. Yeah, it's not very... And it still matters like where they're made and there's like a bunch yeah. of stuff on it. It's, it's too, too much sure. fine print. I was just like, oh, I can't handle this. Okay. Okay, let's do this one because I am excited about this. I remember reading this and being like, whoa, is that a real rule? So there's a guy out there and his Who is name he? rhymes with Have Lamsey. <laughs> Rave. <laughs> Yeah. Rave, Rave Hamsey. Yamsey. I like Ra- he rhymes with Rave Hamsey. It's a good like name. It. 
Uh, cave Damsey. Friends with Save Glamsey. Yeah. And he has a rule that your car should only cost. Oh, can 10- we smash her past that, by the way? Oh, uh, one. Lave Camsey. Yeah, Lave Camsey. One, one, two, two, three, three. Pass. Hard pass. Hard, hard pass. pass. Hard pass. Immediately now. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Call for, for many help. reasons. I just called nine one one. Okay. <laughs> There's so. a sketchy guy. <laughs> He's yelling at people about their debt, telling um, them to go home or like get in the kitchen, <laughs> telling them to get third jobs. Okay, so okay, what's the rule, rule from Ham Hamsey Hamsey Hansy? He has a rule that cars should only cost ten percent of your annual income. So, for example, if you make fifty thousand dollars a year, your car can cost five thousand dollars. If you make one hundred thousand dollars a year, your car can cost ten thousand dollars total. So. I have recently learned what cars are available for $10,000 a year because we were looking for cars for a soon-to-be driver in our house. It is hard to get much without mm-hmm. like under 100,000 miles on it, yeah. under 150,000 miles on it in many cases, depending on the type of car you're looking at, for $10,000. Oh, wait, wait. I... Let's go to... We didn't smash or pass it yet, though. Yeah. Let's... Getting ahead of myself. I think we can probably guess, but already. Okay. One. We don't even need the one, two, three. Let's just go. Ready? Pass. pass. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This seems... So there's there's a certain brand of financial influencer out there who seems to just think that like life should feel like punishment mm-hmm. and well and their income is so massively high they can't even relate to right what you can get for ten thousand dollars is an example yeah like oh i make a million dollars so a 10 percent car would be a hundred thousand yeah i get a hundred thousand yeah totally fine <laughs> yeah i just think this is so unrealistic for so many people that it just feels silly i agree we can move on hard pass passing on hamsey okay okay (laughs) oh next one is to that you should own a car for at least 10 years right back to that stat of like like look well just to the point of the longer you own a car the more financially advantageous it is okay you want to smash your pass yeah okay one two three number get there it's a great rule like we've like been in this too long like we're tired of smashing guys there's only so many things i can smash in one night i just want to read a book and go to bed (laughs) so yeah it's a it's a solid rule i i will admit i've had intentions on this and not quite made it there but like it's it is it's not financially advantageous to keep buying and selling cars i actually recently did it we bought a car during covid because we wanted a third row and we have three kids and it was great for a little while then all of a sudden we were like we don't use this that often anymore yeah kids are getting older mm-hmm. one of them you know like it's just like there was one weekend just now like there's like two or three times a year that we really need a third row and we can make other accommodations like we just took two cars on this trip and it was fine and we actually had a lot more room as a result and so uh, there's just there's some things where like yes it's it it is a lot more financially advantageous so it's not a bad rule in my opinion but it may not work for everyone your needs may change and you know but buying and selling cars you lose a lot right in our in our state you have to pay like lifetime ad valorem tax is that in every state i don't know what is you get screwed every time you, you pay like the taxes you pay on a car on a new car or a used car in georgia like i already paid basically lifetime ad valorem on my Subaru then when I sold it to them they had to pay that same it's a different rate on like the value of the car at the time but it's like if that had been my one of my kids I'd just transfer it to them and they wouldn't have had to you know do that but because I'm selling it to another party and you just you lose a lot having to pay you lose a lot in taxes aside from like you know, the value of the car and other things. And, and a lot of people trade in cars and they take a huge hit. Like I, 
I made $5,000 more by not trading my car in as an example. Right. Anyways, we're getting off track. I think it's a, I think it's a good rule if you can do it. It's yeah, it's not a bad goal, but it's also like if you keep your car for eight or nine years, it's probably fine. Yeah. Right. And if some life circumstance happens where you all of a sudden need more room or less room or you're having kids or your kids are growing, whatever, like do what you need right. to do that makes sense for you. Yeah. Although I have our last car we had for eight years and the one before that I had for 10 years. That's awesome. I did one car I had for 10 years because it became Greg's car at one point. So it was like in our family for a long time. Um, yeah. That's great. Subaru only lasted a few years. It was like a COVID car and then made it like three years. But I got a really good resale. I sold it for very similar to what, aside from the taxes, which kind of sucks, I sold it for very close to what I paid for it. Yeah. A couple of years later, if you do the math, like would you have paid, you know, the difference yeah, to well, own that rented car for a couple of years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a place in my life. She totally. was good to me. But also, Greg and I, like, we talked about all the places we were going to, like, use the bike rack and the tri- tow hitch. Oh, yeah. and, like, and we, like, never oh, used I remember it. that episode of Friends on Fire. Oh, yeah. For some <laughs> yeah. reason, I really enjoyed that one. And I Speaking I of that, that it. was, like, one of the most popular Friends on Fire episodes. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. But it was in, it was Mike trying to convince me, which he did, to not buy a new Subaru. And so I at least went, they had only mm. made that Subaru for one year. So I could only go back one year. And I bought it one year used. Yeah. And I had to drive sense. to West Virginia to get it all because of mike i i I, same similar boat i we bought the e-tron last year and it they've only made it since 2019 we bought a 2019 and that's just the oldest model that there is but she's great and we're happy to have her yeah 2019 is a good year she's (laughs) pre-pandemic well i think she was low miles i think i bet a lot of cars from 2019 are kind of low miles because that's true no one had anywhere to go for a couple years. Exactly. So I, I wasn't really keeping like a smash tally. Oh, I smash or pass tally. But I think you know, we had a like good mix. We, we were uh, discerning, you know, we didn't smash every rule. I, th- I don't think our value as people like raises or lowers depending on how often we say smash. <laughs> That's fair. True. Thanks. I think we're in a good spot. Yeah. I- you know, like you said at the beginning, a lot of these are general guidelines. And at the end of the day, every single one is it depends. Yeah, that's true. It depends on your personal situation and so many other factors that you can't put in a one line rule. Right. right? And a lot of these won't steer you wrong if you're not sure. I remember, I mean, do you remember being like in your early 20s? I know it was a really long time ago, but <laughs> for some of us, it was, it was like a few years less long ago. I have me. to look at my watch to see how long ago it was. <laughs> but like, I remember Googling, like, how much should I spend on rent? Right. Like, I didn't, I, I was looking for someone to give me a guideline to say hey this is reasonable like this is a place to start this is directionally correct yeah i i didn't do that as much i more would like call around and see what places cost and was more sort of doing it market-based but that is you know not a bad thing to do yeah I mean, again, these are great places to start. And then ideally you fall down a rabbit hole and read about personal finance all the time and listen to like yeah. a bunch of personal finance podcasts. And then you figure out how to navigate. You start with the basics and then you figure out how that applies for you. Yeah, exactly. You figure out how to navigate your own personal situation. On that note, you listen to podcasts like this one. You might listen to Liz's podcast called Liz Gets Loaded. It's, it's an good awesome one. podcast. <laughs> and yeah, thank you all for listening. We always appreciate you spending some time with us. We hope we hope we didn't like alienate any of you with our Smash or Pass episode. And I hope nobody had to explain to their children what smashing is. If you have enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to give us a written review on Apple Podcasts or you could leave us a rating on Spotify. We always appreciate it. And share this episode 
episode with a friend or a family member or someone you would like to smash. That could be a good for real way to good, s- like, spark a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Send it to them and be like, uh, I'd smash you, but listen to this podcast first. Yeah. Send it, just send them the link and with like smash or pass question mark and right. see, see what happens. Let us know if... They'll think it's like two girls talking about like something really sexy and then they're going to be like, oh, they're just talking about financial best practices. Which, you know, some people I think it's super sexy. sexy. We just talked about this. Uh, There's some stats that say, you know, talking about money is sexy. Well, you can also subscribe. (laughs) You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have thoughts or questions or complaints, we'd love to hear from you. And you can (laughs) leave a voicemail or text us at 404-981-3370. Or hit us up on Instagram at Inside Out Money or at Liz Gets Loaded. Yeah. I mean, let us know if you'd smash or pass on us. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll take that out. <laughs> Unless it's funny. Uh, anyone listening past At the, this like, point, leaver, if they're, they're still like, here, fine. Yeah. Hey, right. we see yeah. you. You're the person who listens all the way to the end. We love you so much. <laughs> I frequently get messages when we have something like this at the end where we're referencing, is anyone listening? And they'll be like, mm-hmm. I was listening. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so thanks, ex- extra good, smashable friends that are up at the end. <laughs> That, right now, I just I feel like smash has all sorts of like, I guess, sexual connotations. I'm just using it as like a like, I like you, you know? Yeah. Like, smash it with I your like it or I don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note. <laughs> we'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Bye, Liz. Bye, Maggie. <laughs> Can't wait to hear how that comes out on the recording. Okay. See you later. Bye. Okay. Sounds good.